John chapter 1. This morning we are beginning a new series that will take us through the gospel of John. Um, and to kind of put it this way, this time next year we'll be finishing up this series on the gospel of John. So just about a, a year. But this is a gospel that gives us the most sustained picture of the glory of Jesus Christ um, of all books in the Bible. This gospel was written by the apostle John, yet we should remember that he wasn't always an apostle. When we're first introduced to John, he is a fisherman. Him and his brother are given the title of sons of thunder, meaning they have a temper. When Samaria won't let Jesus and his disciples go through, John and his brother come to Jesus and say, hey, let's just call fire down from heaven and kill them all. Like that's their amazing answer. So from now on, for those who know from now on, Brother Steve is now our son of thunder. Um, so we can call him that from now on because that would have been his recommendation. But so you have this, this picture of John, this, this temper, yet at the end of the gospel, he is the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning he went from a man with a temper to a man of tenderness, showing us the difference that Jesus makes in someone's life. And Jesus made a difference. And just to lay some foundation, I know this is, anytime we start a new series, especially in a book, we have to lay a foundation. Oftentimes that's probably your, the least favorite part of this, but just follow with me here. So the life and ministry of Jesus is so important and significant, and what he accomplished is so life-altering, even eternity-offering, that it took four different individuals to write his story. What we call, uh, these four writings are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Matthew's Gospel was written for Jewish people. An often mentioned phrase in the Gospel of Matthew is, so that it might be Fulfilled Because it was written so that Jewish people would come to understand that Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah. It all pointed to him. Then we get to the Gospel of Mark, which was written for a Roman audience. And it's a gospel of action. So the Gospel of Mark is a rapid action. It's short, but yet is a fast-moving gospel. The favorite word of Mark in his gospel is immediately showing the immediacy of what Christ did and what he came to do. When we get to the Gospel of Luke, it's as though Luke were writing to a Greek audience. So Luke, being a Gentile physician, he saw things differently. He, his Gospel is a little bit more exact. He used um, a little bit different language, but he speaks about Jesus' perfect manhood, identifying Jesus as the Son of Man, a perfect man, full of compassion, full of love. And then we get to John, and it seems as though John isn't writing to a Jewish audience. He's not writing to a Roman audience. He's not writing to a Gentile or Greek audience. Instead, it seems like John is writing to the whole world. Because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the Gospel of John, Jesus declares that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And John presents Jesus in his fullest of persons as the son of God, the savior of the world. In fact, at the very end of John's gospel, towards the end of John's gospel, John gives us his reading, his, his reason, excuse me, for writing the gospel. 
In John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says this, or writes this. Now Jesus, and you see on the screen, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. So the things that are written are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this gospel is written to help people believe in Christ and have eternal life. But please don't get in your head that this gospel is only for unbelievers and therefore tune out for the next year. So that's not the point here. The point is this. Yes, this gospel brings unbelievers to the point of believing, but it also helps believers to keep believing. So God's goal for us is not just to get us to Jesus where we bow the knee and say, you're Lord, and then that's it. No, we keep believing. We keep growing. We grow in our belief. So the gospel of, of Matthew, the focus is on what Jesus said. and the gospel of Mark, the focus is on what Jesus did. and the gospel of Luke, the focus is on how Jesus felt and responded. And in the gospel of John, the focus is on who Jesus was. Th think of it this way. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. That word synoptic means a common perspective. Where these three gospels, the first three gospels, they share the same chronology, they, same, or many, they share many of the same stories, and they share many of the same types of language. So 90% of these first three gospels are the same. Then we get to the gospel of John, and 90% of the gospel of John is completely unique. It's completely different. Now, some might say, well, why is that? Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written at least 30 years before the Gospel of John was written. So um, it had a following. It had uh, trust in it. And John comes along and kind of fills in the, the picture. And we're, we're going to kind of explain that. But one commentator calls the Gospel of John the maverick gospel. It's just different from all the rest. And let me explain that. Unlike the other three Gospels, the Gospel of John gives us no genealogy, gives us no account of Jesus' birth, it gives us no mention of his childhood, there's no temptation of Christ, there's no transfiguration of Christ, there's nothing about him calling his disciples to himself, there are no parables, there is no account of the ascension, there is no great commission, so none of that. Yet only in the Gospel of John is Jesus called the Word the creator, the only begotten of the Father, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And only in the Gospel of John do we have the, the, the revelation, the great revelation of the great I am. As Jesus points to himself. It's almost as if Matthew, Mark, and Luke are snapshots of Jesus. And the Gospel of John is the studied portrait of all that he is. So as we walk through the 879 verses in the Gospel of John over the next year, I pray that the light will become brighter, that Jesus will become bigger and more exalted among us than ever before. And this reminds me of C.S. Lewis, the way he put it in the Chronicles of Narnia. So the great wise lion Aslan says to Lucy, Welcome, child. And Lucy says, Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan replies, that's because you're older, little one. And Lucy responds, it mean, that means you're not bigger? And Aslan said this, I am not, but every year that you grow, you will find me to be bigger. 
And that is my prayer for us, that the more that we grow as we are exposed to the life and person of Jesus Christ for who he really is, the bigger, the grander, the more beautiful, the more trustworthy he's going to become to us. So that is my prayer for us as our, this series is that we would see him. And the more we see him, the more that we will see his beauty and the more we will trust him. We will trust him more and more. So I want us to dive in and behold the first five verses. So we're going to walk through this slowly. It's going to be a slow walk. It's going to be a methodical walk, but it is going to be a, a blessing of a walk. It's going to be a, a walk where we see him. And I pray in seeing him, we will want more of him. So if you're able, I'm asking you to stand as we honor God's word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And it says this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Jesus, we come before you as one who is from the beginning, one who is God, one who is our life, our light, our salvation. We pray today that we would see everything, Lord, that you would have us to see in and through these five verses, and that, Jesus, you would, if you are not Savior in this moment, that, Lord, you would become Savior and Lord of individual lives, but also, Lord, that we would leave here believing you, trusting you, seeing you in a greater sense for who you are. Just have your way. Speak, O oh God, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So it, it has been said that the average person spends one-fifth or 20% of their life talking. Now, some talk more than others, and I'm not going to get into who's who here. I'm not touching that. I'm not jumping into that at all. But to suffice to say, at the end of an average life, you could fill over 3,000 volumes or 1.5 million pages with all the words that we speak. And any words you have left over, Brother Curtis will gladly use them. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Or am I? Anyway. You know, what we know is this, words are plentiful in all of our lives, but words are also vital. Yet the question becomes, what is the most vital word? You know, it's difficult to think about. What's the most vital word in, in our language or in all languages? What's the most vital word in other cultures and, and context? Others might say, well, we have a hard time. We don't know exactly, exactly what the most important or most vital word in our language. But John had no such problems. John begins his gospel with the identification of Jesus as the Word. Starting with the very beginning of beginnings, John declares that the most vital Word of all is Jesus. He is the most vital Word. Let me frame it this way. Maybe for us to wrap our minds in this way. God had every right to stay silent. God could have, in perfect justice, just kept his mouth closed and said, you know what, my creation can live without me, they can die without me, and they can go and spend eternity apart from me. God had every right, being just as he is, to do just that. Yet in his grace and his mercy, he spoke and he revealed himself to us. 
Praise be to God. We know from his word he spoke and in six days he created all things. He spoke and man, us, were created in the very image of God. He spoke and Abraham left Ur and the Jewish nation was born. He spoke to Moses and gave the law by which the people of Israel, his children, were to live. God spoke through prophets saying, thus says the Lord over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. But God, when we get to the New Testament, had one more word stored up. This would be his final speech and this would be his greatest message ever. God saved his best word for last. One pastor said this, that term word was pregnant with significance because you see the Jews explained everything God did by his word. His word is responsible for everything, everything made through his word. So let me ask you this question. What is a word made out of? So words are made out of letters. Yes, they're made out of letters. Well, we are told in the word of God that Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. Let me just fill it in for you. He is every letter in between. He is the first, he is the last, he is everything in between. But why does does John call Jesus the Word? And John calls Jesus the Word here because he had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God, and he has come to see the person of Jesus as the truth of God in a meaningful and unified way that Jesus himself in his coming in his working in his teaching in his dying in his rising in his ascending was the final and decisive message from God to us theologian Frederick Bruner said this we long to know who God is and what God thinks and does in Jesus his most personal word God has spoken to us in the most human way possible giving us his innermost thoughts and heart in deeds that are as profound as his words and the believing human race has experienced deep help ever since God has given us his final word his name is Jesus and through him we have hope and we have help that we would not have apart from him. So I want to begin our series today by laying three truths before us that speak of Jesus as God's most important word. He is God's most important word. So three truths today from this text. Number one, Jesus existed always. Jesus existed always. If you and I were to sit down and write a book, how would you begin? Now, I would probably begin by maybe introducing myself, what my credentials are. Maybe I would say, here's what this book is going to be about, and here's where we are are going. And that's how a lot of biblical authors presented um, their their books and, and their writings in that way. But the Gospel of John is unlike all the other books of the Bible. Matthew and Luke start in Bethlehem. Mark starts at the Jordan River, yet John starts all the way back at the beginning of the story. So the other three Gospels begin in time. John begins in eternity. Look at those first three words of this Gospel, in the beginning. Now those three words are meant to transport your mind and my mind back to Genesis chapter 1. And the familiar words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the 
earth. But John takes us back even further than Genesis 1, declaring in the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning the Word began. In the beginning was the Word. Everything and everyone that we know has a starting point, but not Jesus. Not Him. When the starting point of history began, Jesus was there. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't understand that. I can't wrap my head around that. Well, good, because I can't either. I can't either. Now, and here's the reason why. Because, yes, we are eternal beings. And, yes, God has put eternity in our hearts. But everything that you and I know has a beginning and has an end. Everything that we know, that we can touch, that we can see has a beginning and has an end. And yet God is from eternity past to eternity future. We can't wrap our heads around that. And if you think you can, step back a second and ask God to give you a second look and you'll realize he's greater than you can ever imagine. May we be blown away just by who he is. But let's continue. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then verse two, he was in the beginning with God. What a strange way to begin a story. In the beginning, the word already existed. But that statement is true because Jesus is God. He's our eternal God. That's the basic point of what John is getting at here. Before anything was ever created, Jesus existed. He's not a created being. He is creator God of all beings. He was with God in eternity past, and he, as John says, was God. That last line is as clear as any line in the Bible that Jesus is God. Don't throw it out. Don't um, go right past it. Basically, it says this. If what we see in John 1 is as clear as if Jesus were at your company training party or your company training event, the name on his name tag would say God. Is that clear who he is? And what we know is that our God is not a God of of confusion he's not a god of coincidence he's not a god of chaos and jesus did not come by coincidence john's words show us very clearly that jesus was with god from the beginning for he is god and life came into being through him and he came to live on this earth as part of God's plan from the very beginning while at the same time always being God. It has been said that if you have a Savior who is not quite God, you have a bridge that is broken at the furthest end. If you have a Savior that's not God, meaning you can't get all the way. If your Savior isn't God, you'll never make it to God. You will find at the very end of that bridge it is broken and you can't cross. And all of this highlights what Paul says in Colossians 1.17. It's on the screen. He, Jesus, is before all things. He's before it all because he made it all. More on that in just a second. But he is God. And in him, all things hold together. Don't miss it. Look at those verses. All things hold together. Without Jesus, everything would fall apart. All things were made For him, all things are coming to him. All things exist through him. He holds it together. Let me put it a different way. If you take Jesus out of your life, your life will eventually unravel. 
Maybe you'll hold it together for 80 years and you die. But when you stand before God, apart from Jesus, your life will unravel in that moment. Your house, if you have a, a home and you take Jesus out of your home, your home will come apart. If you take Jesus away from your children, they will be held by other things that can't hold them together forever. Therefore, it's important for us to understand that Jesus made all things and he holds us together. And don't miss what that means. What that means for me, a humble sinner, is there are so many times in my life where circumstances have hit me, church people have hit me, things have hit me, and it's, I look and I say, how am I still standing? How am I still going? How am I still making it? I look at my sin. How am I still doing this? And it's only because Jesus is holding me together. That's the only reason. If not for him, you would find me unraveled somewhere a long time ago with no hope whatsoever, but Jesus holds me fast. He holds me and he holds you. Don't miss it. So Jesus existed always leading us secondly to Jesus created all things. Jesus created all things. When we think about a gospel, we would just think that the gospel should begin with a star, a manger, a child being born, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but Jesus doesn't make a sound. Or we think of you know, angels singing, wise men coming, a king giving a decree, all of those things. But in a sweeping difference, John doesn't begin by telling us Jesus' story. He begins by telling us our story. And what is our story? Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Our story. Jesus is the initiator of everything. The universe, our lives, our salvation. Meaning that not only is Jesus God's agent for salvation, he is God's agent for creation. When you put Genesis 1 and John 1 together, what you see is who is present at creation. According to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. God the Father was there. According to John 1, verses 1 through 3, Jesus was there. Then according to Genesis 1.2, the Holy Spirit was there. So we have the Trinity active in differing roles, yet accomplishing a grand design in the beginning, in our beginning, as everything starts. And God reveals himself for who he is from the very beginning. And what we're able to put together is this. Jesus is the source of life. Yes, he comes to earth, but he is the source, and he is the origin of all things, and he is the goal of all things. And let me just pause for just a second, and I'm going to get a little heated in this moment. There's going to be a vein probably here, here, and maybe here that's going to stick out, but just follow with me. One of the biggest hoaxes perpetrated on the human race over the last 175 years is the hoax of evolution. Evolution is a, a religious hoax. Let me say it again. It's a religious hoax based on a faulty belief system about the origin of all things. Let me, let me just kind of lay it before you. Your view about the origin of creation and of life becomes a religion because it becomes a belief that generates a myriad of other beliefs and other views that form your life choices, that form your decisions and what you value. 
And evolution is not just about how things get started. It's about how it implicates or the implications it has on your worldview. If there is no God, then it affects how you live. If there is no God, it affects the decisions you make today and tomorrow. If there is no God and you came from animals that evolved, then guess what? You're just an animal and you can make animalistic decisions. And what we're finding, especially in places of education that teach this, is you're finding teenagers who are acting and kids acting more and more like animals. Animalistic behaviors. And instead, what we need to say is this. You have been made in the very image of God. That is who you are. You can act like an animal if you want to. And the picture is this. You're still an image of bearer is who God made you to be so stop settling for what the world tells you because let me say this the theory of evolution is really the evolution of a theory it's a theory that keeps evolving and it keeps evolving and it has zero answers and zero evidence evolution is basically a scientific hoax because its belief system is held by people who basically say we have to believe this because if we, if we don't believe this, then we have to accept the alternative. And the alternative is there is a God and we would have to meet him and we don't want there to be a God. So we're going to keep doing all of these things and we're going to keep our theories and we're going to hope and pray we find some kind of science to help our theories. And therefore you'll constantly hear things, just trust the science. It's changing, oh it's changing but just trust it. Eventually, we're going to find science that meets what we're trying to get you to believe and to do. And brothers and sisters, you can believe that or you can believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he has a plan and he has a purpose and his plans and his purposes will prevail. I I pray that you would either do it your way. I pray against that. I pray that we would see it God's way. So we have a completely different explanation declared all throughout the the word and evidenced by the orderliness of all things that we know. Everything owes its existence to Jesus. He's the ultimate source of everything that you and I know. Everything you see, every, every planet, every star, every galaxy, every mountain, every cloud, every river, every ocean, every tree, every flower, every animal, and every person. Everything created by God through Jesus Christ. Everything. And Colossians 1.16 on the screen says this. For by him, again, Jesus, all things were created. All things were created through him, and don't miss this, and for him. All things created through him and for him. Though God is invisible, Jesus is not. When we wonder what God is like, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Jesus shows us what God is like. We must remember when doubts and Fears begin to creep into our minds and our hearts. Remember this important truth. All things, both in heaven and on earth, have been created by him and been created, praise God, for him. That means this whole world, as crazy as it is and as crazy as it seems, is still under his control. Under his control. We can rest in the truth that no matter who is in power in our countries, in our companies, in our schools, or any other organization, Jesus is ultimately in charge of it all. 
He is in charge of it all. He is above all things. He has no rivals. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When we find ourselves wondering what God is really like, if God cares, if God is in control, look to Jesus. Jesus shows us who God is. He shows us what God has been doing. He shows us how God works in our lives. There was a great story about Henry Ford and his friend Charles Steinmetz, who was a mechanical genius, who was really the reason for Ford's early success. Steinmetz was the one who made the motors for the assembly line for the Ford Motor Company in Detroit. And one day, one of the, the motors in the assembly line broke. And let me just stop there and insert your Ford joke here, whatever that might be. But the assembly line was shut down, and there was no one in the factory that could fix the motor. So Ford calls Steinmetz, and Steinmetz comes in, and basically, after a few minutes of tinkering, says, it's fixed, and he walks out. Everything goes back to working, and they continue on. A few weeks later, Steinmetz, or, or Ford, gets a bill from Steinmetz in the amount of $10,000. An incredible, insane amount in that day, to which Ford was not happy. And he sent a letter to his friends saying, I think $10,000 is a little steep for you tinkering. To which Steinmetz wrote back and said, okay, here's the new revised bill. $10 for tinkering and $9,990 for knowing where to tinker. And here's what I want you to understand. It's not just tinkering. It's knowing exactly where because in your mind you made it, you know it, so you know exactly where to work. And don't miss this. Thinking about our lives, Jesus knows us. And because he knows us, he knows exactly where to work on us. He knows exactly where to tinker in every moment of our lives. He knows exactly what place to touch in our lives to bring about glory for himself. We have to let him. We have to let him do in us, through us, what he would have to do as our creator and sustainer. So Jesus created all things, which leads us lastly to this. Jesus illuminates all people. He illuminates all people. Look at verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. These two verses describe the incarnation of Jesus to us, him coming in flesh. He is, here's Jesus coming in the flesh, and here's the world reacting to Jesus. The light shines in darkness, and darkness doesn't comprehend it, and darkness doesn't want it. Darkness doesn't want the light. But he comes, and he is a light, and he is life. And in the Greek, there are two primary words for life. There is zoe, and there, there is bios. Now, Zoe is basically the, the essence of life, not limited by time. It's not hindered by death. It's, Zoe is eternal, everlasting, meaningful, purposeful life as God gives it. Fifty-four times in the Gospel of John, we're gonna, he's going to hear him say, Zoe, as far as life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have Zoe. Have everlasting, eternal life. But then next to Zoe, we have bios, which in English is biology. Bios means physical, biological life. It's heart pumping, blood flowing, lungs filling, expanding, 
but it also refers to the duration of life, our lifespan, the time between your birth and your death. And according to the word of God, Jesus is not just the source of your bios. He's the one who made you. He's the one who brought you in. As my father used to say, he brought you in and he can take you out. That is who he is. But he's also the source of Zoe. He's the source of eternal life. And according to this word, Jesus is that. But then consider for a moment life. Just consider it. Try, try to define life. Try to put it in words. It's way more than just saying I'm living or I'm a living being. It's, it's more than just simply breathing or your heart pumping. In fact, it's beyond our intellect really to explain all the processes that must go into place in order for us to keep living it's overwhelming to consider all the things that must happen in your body to keep you alive but jesus knows and even better he is our life he started you he created you he fashioned you he walks with you he is your life and there is no life apart from him take him away and you don't have life. Let me sum it up this way. Our deepest desire placed within us by our creator is not live. That's not the deepest desire. Your deepest desire placed in you by your creator is this. Know God now and know him forever. When we get to John 17, we're going to hear Jesus say this. This is eternal life. So Jesus defines eternal life in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know you, God, and your son. So Jesus said eternal life isn't just heaven one day. It's knowing God now and knowing him forever. That is life. Do you have it? And then consider light. So just consider light for a moment. Imagine the moment that light burst out from darkness. You know, most of us, for the most part, we have never known total darkness. This morning I read in Exodus 11, Thinking about this, it took me there. Exodus 11, when the plague of darkness, we're told that the darkness was so dark that you could actually feel it. So it was darkness, it was so heavy, they, they could feel the darkness. For three days, they could see nothing or no one. That is a darkness that could be felt. And just picture in your mind total darkness. And think about the fear and the anxiety that would well up in you as you Live in darkness. Feel your heart racing. Feel your fears multiplying. And then imagine God saying, let there be light. And light burst forth, overwhelming your darkness. And according to the word of God, that's exactly what Jesus has done. His light has burst into our lives of darkness, our lives of sin, our lives of shame, our lives of guilt. And he has shined the light on it all. Or as we say often around here, Jesus died with his eyes open. He knew who he was dying for. He knew what he was dying for, and he still did it. But think about this. It's kind of like a fog had settled upon the earth, and Jesus came as a fog light, dispelling the fog, dispelling all of it. Yet when people saw the light, they didn't want it. When they saw the light, they turned away from it. When they saw the light, they said, give us back our fog. I think of it like this. If, if you've ever walked into a room like at 11 o'clock in the morning, maybe noon, with your sleeping teenager, maybe one or two, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You walk in and all of a sudden you take the blinds and you open them up. 
pretty light in the room already, but you let a lot of light in, and all of a sudden your teenagers begin to smoke, and they go, ah! And then they say, turn, close the blinds, the light, the light. And, of course, you, you close the blinds. Well, what have you done? It's still shining outside. What you've done is keep them from seeing the light. And the beautiful thing we have to understand is this. The light shines, and all of us must deal with it. Or to put it a different way, every single one of us is on a collision course with Jesus. We are on a collision course with the one who has made us, who is our light, who is our source of light. Let me end with this story and some final thoughts. Maybe you've heard it before, but while on maneuvers, a battleship lookout noted a light in the dark, foggy night. After noting the light's coordinates, the captain recognized that his ship was on a collision course with the other vessel. So the captain instructed, signal the ship, we are on a collision course, change course 20 degrees. The return signal countered, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain signaled, I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. The response was, I'm a seaman, second class, you'd better change your course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was absolutely furious, and he ordered it to say this, I'm a battleship, change your course 20 degrees, and the reply was this, I'm a lighthouse, your move. Some of you will get that tomorrow, or there's no hope whatsoever, but here is the deal. Every single one of us are on a collision course with Jesus, and he will not move. He will not move. He will not bend. He will not consider your plan or your purposes or your will as if they're better than his because he knows you and knows me better than we know ourselves, and he died for us. But we are on a collision course with him, and we must go through him. And we either, we either go through him now bowing our knee to him as Savior and Lord, or one day we will confess him as Savior and Lord and still have to live eternity apart from him. Every single one of our lives is on a collision course with him, but Jesus, he will not bow. He will not accept another will except for the will of his Father. He will not accept another glory apart from that which has been his from the beginning. What we know is this, Jesus is God communicating to us in a language that we understand. And what Jesus is telling us is that God loves us, that God through him made us, that God has a purpose in making us to give glory to him through salvation. Do we know? Do we know Jesus as our creator? Do we know him as our light? Do we know him as our life? For the unbeliever in this room or maybe online today, here is what I'm asking of you. And one point I would say, Right now, call in the name of the Lord, be saved, please. But I would also say this, God willing, take this journey with us. Take this journey with us with an open heart. Just put Jesus in front of you and see Jesus in all the ways he acted, responded, moved, the things that he did, what was on his heart and what he did for us. And may that, see if that might allow you to believe on his name and have eternal life in him. But I also want to say this to believers in this room. I would encourage you, please, take this journey with us over the next year or so. And I would, I would ask you, I would beg you, as we take this journey, don't let the things you've seen, the things you know, the things you've heard keep you from seeing him for who he really is. And allow him, as you see him, 
to make your belief in him stronger. That you would believe even more in him. That you would trust even more in him. That as you look to him, he will become bigger. He will become grander. He would become more beautiful. He would become more trustworthy in your life and my life. And if that's what happens in our time together, the world better watch out. The world better watch out. If, if, if we have a Savior who is even more trustworthy, and we, we know we can trust him not just when we're sitting in a pew on Sunday, but we can trust him when we walk out in this world on Monday, and we can trust him when we get terrible news on Tuesday, and we can trust him when we meet a terrible person on Wednesday. We can trust him in every part of our lives. No matter what comes, we trust him. Oh, that that would be the outcome of our time together. And the world would, would see and experience Truth like they've never seen or haven't seen in a long time as we trust our Savior more and more. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to, to stand as we end our time together, beginning a time of invitation and consecration where we just say whatever God is telling you to do, may you do it. But let's pray in this moment. Father, we come before you and Jesus, we thank you that you are our creator, our sustainer. You're the one that holds us together. You're our life. You're the light of the world. There is no light apart from you. So when we say, Jesus, that you illuminate all people, what we don't mean is that in the end everybody's going to be saved, but what we do mean is anyone who will be saved will be saved because, Jesus, you are the light of the world, and you are the one that's exposing the world to who you are. And therefore, every opportunity that we have, whether it be here or to the ends of the earth, we don't proclaim methods, we don't proclaim churches, we proclaim you, Jesus, as the Savior of the world. Pray for those individuals who don't know you, that, God, you would allow them to, to see you, Jesus, to see your love, to see your compassion, to see your holiness, to see you submitting to the will of the Father, to see his wrath being poured on you for us, and to call upon his name, to turn from sin, to turn from self, and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lord, may that happen. And we also pray for us, believers across this room, that we would trust you more, that we would believe you more, that we would come to know you more. Finish this time. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.
this morning. Uh, before we go, we're going to do our uh, memory verse for the week. Uh, so say it with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's John 1, 1. Uh, we want to invite you all to come back on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Um, we have a service. We would love for you all to be here. It's really fun, I promise. And if you can't make it Wednesday, we'll be doing this again same time next week. You are dismissed. I've learned.